Remember to observe Sabbath day by keeping the, it holy. You have six days a week, six days each week for your ordinary work. But you have the seventh day is a Sabbath day for rest dedicated to the Lord, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock and your foreign and any foreigners living among you. For the six days of the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That, <laughs> that the way the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a lovely feeling. That's what Horace Whittle said on his first day of retirement. It was a lovely feeling. But the feeling didn't come so much because it was his first day of retirement. It came from what he did on the first day of his retirement. That's what made it so lovely. For 47 years, Horace Whittle had been a dock, work, a dock worker just outside of Gillingham, England. Every day, for 47 years, his alarm clock had jarred him awake before the sun had risen and out of bed to the point that he had a great disdain and outright hatred for that clock. For 47 years, he longed to ignore it. For 47 years, he felt the intense pressure of time. And so, on his first day of retirement, he decided to get his revenge on the clock. That day, Mr. Wattell took his alarm clock, placed it under an 80-ton hydraulic press, and crushed it amidst a great public spectacle. It made the news. And afterwards, when they interviewed him, he said it was a lovely feeling, in a great English way. That, that story is told in the 1997 book entitled, The Tyranny of Time as an indicator of how many of us feel about our clocks and time in general. Our deep desire to put our alarm clocks under hydraulic presses. But it's not just the waking up part either. It's just this feeling that time is always working against us. There's never enough time. Have you ever wanted to take your calendar and set it on fire? Or run it over with the road grader? Who among us hasn't thought, I don't have enough time, if only I had enough time? So often time feels like the enemy of our lives, ticking away militantly, regardless of how we feel about it or what we do about it. The clock ticks and the calendar turns, regardless of anything we do or don't do in the process. And I don't know how you feel, but oftentimes I feel like my life is the rope of a tug-of-war between competing calendars in my life. The personal calendar, and the kids' calendar, a school academic calendar, and the church calendar, all of them pulling me and you in different directions. And then there's the holy calendar. The fact that we Christians didn't think three calendars were enough, and so we created our own. We have a holy calendar which is a reminder to us that Christians do not keep time the way the rest of the world keeps time. Our New Year's Day is not January 1st in the church. 
Our New Year's Day is the beginning of Advent, where we begin to mark the birth of Jesus. The birth of our year is based upon the birth of Christ, because we mark time not by watching the sun or by watching the moon, we mark time by watching Jesus. Christians overlay all the calendars with a holy calendar. The way we keep time says something about who we are as people. I've heard folks say, tell me, who your, tell me what your holy days are and I will tell you the God you worship. Tell me what your holy days are and I will tell you the God you worship. I've also heard it said that one of the greatest differences between our day and ancient civilizations is in the difference between how we keep up with time. Were you to travel back a few centuries before the clock and ask someone what time it is, they would look at you rather strangely, you know. They would look up at the sun and ask you to look up at the sun and give some general answer to that question. We tell time by the clock. They kept time by observing nature and living with their eyes open. Therefore, we keep time linearly, chronologically, where one event follows the other like the ticks of a clock. They kept time cyclically, like sunrise and sunset and sunrise and sunset, or spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter. And so we tend to see reality linearly while the ancients saw reality cyclically. Some philosophers have even said that this varied notion of time is underneath alternative views of what it means to be real. If, you're to, if you were to ask someone today, is that a real story? What we're asking is, did that actually happen somewhere on that continuum of chronology? Did it at some point in the future happen? But if you were to ask an ancient person, is that a true story? That's not what they would think. They would think, is it a story that happens over and over and over and over and over again? It's not that it happened once, it's that it happened always. And that's what makes a story true. We in our day have a mechanized view of time. The gift of which is that it can be very specific. I'm looking at 11, 21, and 49 seconds today. Mechanized view of time can be extremely specific. But they had a natural view of time that was more general in nature. The problem, of course, with mechanized view of time is that life doesn't come at us in a mechanical kind of way. The problem with clocks is that they treat every moment the same. The tick gives way to a tock, which gives way to a tick, and it's, it's all the same. Clocks assume an assembly line of seconds and minutes and hours that just march right along, but life does not come at us like clockwork. Some moments seem to stop time. Some moments seem to speed it up. I remember a few years ago we were sitting in our living room and we were waiting on some friends to show up at our house. And our youngest son ran in the living room and said, How much longer? And I said, 20 minutes and they should be here. And he said, how long is 20 minutes? And simultaneously, my oldest son said, it's as long as a cartoon. And I said, it's as long as a sermon. <laughs> and he paused and said, but a cartoon is short and a sermon is long. It's 20 minutes, but it's 
it's 20 minutes, y'all, right? <laughs> but all 20 minutes are not created equally. Some moments of your life are etched in your brain, for better or for worse, and you could not forget them if you tried. Likewise, innumerable moments of your life have passed through your memory, um, and you couldn't remember them if you tried. Every daylight savings time, when it begins or ends, I'm reminded that my body doesn't really care too much about what the clock says. When I'm hungry, my belly says it's noon, and it doesn't care what the clock says. And when I'm sleepy, my eyes don't care what the clock says. In short, life does not come at us like a conveyor belt, but in moments that are extremely varied and diverse, like blizzards or gentle rains or hot summer days. And the way we live those different and varied moments, all of them, is something like how we live our lives. And this is where the Sabbath has a word for us today, as we think together about holy time. It might surprise you to read that the command to remember the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Right in the middle with don't murder and don't bear false witness, we tend not to think of rest as an ethical thing. But the Bible thought it was. Sabbath is right there in the middle of them, right in the center of the commands. In fact, some scholars say the Sabbath command is the hinge right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Because the commands before the Sabbath have to do with our relationship with God, you'll remember. No other gods, no graven images, uh, honor the name of the Lord, don't take it in vain. Sabbath. And then after the Sabbath are all the commands that have to do with our relationship with people. Like, don't murder, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery. And right in the middle of them is Sabbath, which has to do both with the vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationships with neighbors. It's the hinge commandment. Like in the Exodus account when it reads, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, or your cattle or your sojourner, your immigrant who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The idea is that the Sabbath is set apart to remind us of God's rest in creation. Have you ever thought about that? That God rested in the middle of creation? And have you ever thought about the why of that? Does your God ever rest? The Bible says God rested on the seventh day. Certainly not because God needed it, but you just get the feeling that creation isn't something God just uses. Creation is something God enjoys. And on the seventh day, God kicked God's shoes off and took delight in everything. And we are to do the same, to laugh and to play. Not a day to do something, but a day to be something. It was a day to remember our own connectedness to the Creator and the rest of creation. The Sabbath was a day not to be above creation, but to remember our place in creation, which is certainly why we're commanded to let the animals rest too. 
Because on the Sabbath, we are an animal. And we're reminded of our need for rest, just like all animals need rest. We are creatures. It's a day to delight in creation as part of God's purposes, not to use creation according to our purposes. It's one day when we refuse to bow before the machinery of production and consumption, which would say to us, if we're not getting anything done, we're worthless. The Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy as well. Only Deuteronomy shifts this command in two ways. In Deuteronomy, it says, observe the Sabbath rather than remember it. Practice it. Do it. It's, it's a discipline you build into your life. It's not just a good idea. Do it. And secondly, in Deuteronomy, instead of grounding the Sabbath in creation like it does in Exodus. Deuteronomy says the Sabbath was to, was to remind the Jewish people of the Exodus from Egypt. To remember the time in their lives when they were treated as slaves to work and work and work rather than to be humans who needed both rest and work. To remember the time when they were seen as a tool with a pulse rather than a human who bore the image of God. And just as God delivered them from Egypt, God delivered them from the ways of Egypt. That's what we tend to forget about the Exodus. When God delivered the people from Egypt, it was also a deliverance from Egypt's way of doing things. And the Sabbath was to be a weekly reminder of that social deliverance. A day in which no one's labor was exploited. No one is master and no one is servant to rid us of all the social stratification we're seeped in every other day of the week. For on that one day, we are who we are before God, not according to human status. Once when I was in seminary, I went to an ordination service for one of my friends on a Sunday night. I was walking through the crowd at the reception after the service, and I walked past one of my seminary professors. And I said to her, hi, Dr. Foster. And she smiled and said, Preston. She said, in class, I'm Dr. Foster. But this is church. In church, I'm Ruth Ann. In class, I'm Dr. Foster. In church, I'm Ruth Ann. It, it, it wasn't just a Sunday thing. She was teaching me about Sabbath in that moment. That Sabbath is a day where all human identities crumble and we are who we are before God, period. Can you see it, brothers and sisters? Can you see how utterly countercultural this notion is in 21st century North America? It's utterly countercultural. And if we would actually learn to do it, we might just change the world and we might be changed in the process. Who knows? The Sabbath was a day to remind us that God doesn't put as much into our achievements and failures as we do. It reminds us that we don't just exist to make a living, but we exist to be fully alive. And our highest calling in this world is not just to work. Our highest calling in this world is to worship and to enjoy God forever, as many of the creeds recite. The Sabbath reminds us that our resumes and our life stories are not the same thing. The Sabbath reminds us of our kinship with all the rest of creation and our lordship over none of it. 
The Sabbath reminds us of who is God and who isn't God because even if we lay down and take a nap, the world keeps spinning. And sometimes, as I've said to you before, brothers and sisters, and will say to you again, sometimes the most redemptive thing you can do in this world for yourself and the people who love you and the rest of creation is to lay down and take a nap. Amen? Okay, that was easy, y'all. The Sabbath, the point of Sabbath is to remind us of the holiness of time. The sacredness of every second. You've heard Hewlett talk about Abraham Joshua Heschel, one of the leading rabbis, American rabbis of last century. If you've never read Rabbi Heschel, you should read it, Rabbi Heschel. He wrote a book last century about the Sabbath. It's a seminal work. And in this book, he calls the Sabbath a temple in time. Think about it. A palace, a temple in time. That just as we need holy space to remind us that all space is holy, so we need holy time to remind us that all time is holy. Again, the part reminds us of the whole. It's not just that we do these things on the Sabbath and not the other days of the week. It's that we do these things as a discipline on the Sabbath so they reinforce these things every other day of the week. We rest on the Sabbath so that work can be a gift and not a curse and so that our egos don't become too intertwined with it. We lose the titles on the Sabbath so that we don't lose our humanity under the weight of those titles the rest of the week. We find our place in creation on the Sabbath so that we don't try to lord it over creation the rest of the week. And we practice the gift of Sabbath so that time for us does not become a mechanized monotony of moments, but a, a gift of extremely varied and wondrous experiences. Just as the spire of the temple rises above a city, and draws our eyes out of the monotony of life towards the heavens, so the Sabbath rises out of the monotony of our days, and it lifts our gaze heavenward and reminds us what this living business is all about. Our life is not measured in the tick-tocks of a clock. Our life is measured in the seasons of life and how we live them. I'll be honest with you today. I've been excited to share this sermon because the discipline of the Sabbath has been one of my most difficult lessons I have ever learned in my life, and I still struggle with it. But I will also say to you, it's been one of God's greatest gifts to me, and it would not be a stretch to say it saved my life in some ways. At one point, when I was pastoring my former church, I was a full-time doctoral student. I was a full-time pastor and part of a growing family. The thing about pastoring is that, like many of your jobs, it never ends. Like, I can never really clock out and tell God, or you, I've done it all. It just keeps going and going and going. The hospitals and nursing homes are never empty. And no standing committee that I've ever been a part of has met for their last time. And Sunday has a way of coming around every single Sunday. And I have never really finished a sermon. It's just Sunday shows up and you got to go with what you got. I could feel myself in those days dragging. I could feel it. I was dragging as a husband. 
I was dragging as a father, I was dragging as a pastor, and I was dragging as a human. Honestly, that was why I was dragging everywhere else. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, my role was eating away at my soul. And somewhere in me, I wanted to run over every clock and calendar I had. And so, I decided to do something really profound. I decided to do in my own life what I was asking everyone else to do which was observe Sabbath. I mean, it's easy for all you secular people, whatever that is, because y'all's work, work is sort of, sort of important, but I work for God. I have the most important. I can't quit. I can't have Sabbath. But I decided that one day a week I would rest, really rest. Here's what I learned. I learned that I had some shadows about myself and the, sh the Sabbath shined a light right on them. I learned that I had too much ego tied up in my work. And that to a certain extent, when I wasn't pastoring, I didn't know who I was. I was afraid to rest because I was uncomfortable being around myself. So I just kept myself busy. I learned that if I didn't set my calendar, the rest of the world would. And in so doing, amidst a gazillion good things, my calendar would do a sort of violence on my being. I learned that when I took a nap, the church was still the church when I woke up. And that's a humbling thing. I didn't want to admit that. I wanted the church to say, we can't be the church without Preston. But a nap is a humbling thing. I discovered that I cannot do everything which is why we work. Yes, we work and we work hard, but we also come into this place and we pray and we lean into a God who can bear the weight of the church and who can bear the weight of the world, which we brothers and sisters cannot and will kill ourselves trying. And I discovered that I did not get less done. This is not the point. I want to be clear about it. But I discovered I did not get less done. I got more done. Because the, and the work was better because I had more of me to put into it. And I might be able to do this long term. I rediscovered the joy in my life. I rediscovered the joy in my work. What I needed in those days and what I need in these days, and I would venture to say what all of us need in these days, is not more time. Because we would do with the more time what we do with the time we have. We don't need more time. As Rabbi Heschel says, we need a different kind of time. A day where the clock doesn't seem like our enemy and where we can receive the day for the gift that it is. A day to remind us of the sacredness of all of our days and that each and every one is a distinct gift from God and if we waste it in our work or our rest, it's our lives we're wasting if we just see our lives as the humdrum of a ticking clock, then we will sleepwalk our way through our lives and we'll die of boredom long before we're dead. After all, brothers and sisters, what we do with our time is what we do with our lives. But if we can begin to see that our time is holy and sacred, then it becomes not a tyrannous enemy over us, but a friend with us and a gift of grace from God. Then we can begin to shape our calendars more than our calendars shape us. 
then we can begin to resist the temptation to destroy our clocks because of the time we don't have and learn to give thanks for the time we do have. Then we can pause with the psalmist and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Not you and not me and not even us. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us... Let us and be glad in it. What if we paused and did just that? I know we've asked you to be quiet already today. Could I ask you to do it one more time? Maybe we need it twice today. Center yourself. Breathe in and breathe out and receive this day for the gift that it is. Feel the uniqueness of it. In all the history of the world, there has never been a day like this one. And in all the future of the world, there will never be a day like this one. And if you waste it, if we waste it, if we sleepwalk our way through it, it's a gift we've spurned. Rejoice in it. Feel the grace of time. You are alive today and it could be otherwise. And you are in the presence of other people today. What a gift. You are in the presence of the God who made this day. What a gift. And rest in it. Rest your souls just for a moment. Say no to the busy chaos and rest your souls. You don't have anything to achieve. You don't have anything to fail. Because there's nothing you could do that would make God love you less. And there's nothing you could do that would make God love you more. Rest in the peace of that. Drop your to-do lists for a moment and pick up some love and mercy and peace. Don't be a human doing. Be a human being. See y'all, time can be holy. And it is. And all God's people said, Oh Lord, this is the day that you have made. These are the moments you have made. Teach us to rejoice, to rediscover our joy, and be glad in it. I lift up the heavy souls in this room today and the heavy souls who aren't in this room today and ask for rest. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the one who lifts burdens and whose burden is light, we pray. Amen.